Welcome to Overheard at Deer Valley. I'm your host, Kaylin Richardson. I am a two-time Olympian pro skier, and for the past 10 years, I've called Deer Valley home. Here, we are going to chat with different leaders, heroes, and characters about what they believe makes the Deer Valley difference. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with two-time Olympian and Ski Hall of Famer, Trace Worthington. Trace dominated freestyle skiing for much of the 1990s, resulting in seven World Cup Crystal Globes and two World Championship titles. Post-competitive career, Trace became a sought-after sports commentator. It is very likely that you have heard Trace's unmistakable enthusiasm over the last 25 years. When Trace isn't in the sound booth or traveling for an event, you can find him on the slopes of Deer Valley taking skiers out through the Deer Valley's Ski with a Champion program. Trace, you've had a massive amount of success in your competitive career. To have one World Cup podium is so impressive. You've had 79 World Cup podiums, 39 of which were wins. How do you explain your consistency? I mean, the consistency with competing, records can't be broken or records can't be accomplished unless you're healthy, right? Like if you're off the hill and you're injured, you're not on the hill winning or getting podiums. So the thing that I contribute most is is staying healthy through my whole career. And just that part of it allowed me to consistently ski in every single competition. I think I missed two World Cup competitions my whole career. Um, and so that was the reason why I was able to win that many, right? And get be on the podium that many times because I was there, I was present. <laughs> in the NFL, they say one of the greatest abilities is availability. Exactly, exactly. In real time, as, a, as an athlete, did you realize that that was one of your strengths or was that sort of the clarity of hindsight? Um, no, I realized it was one of my strengths. Uh, you know, I just, I was always um, just, I was always like stretching and staying in shape and I was like twisting my, I was like doing yoga before yoga ever existed in, in I mean, it existed, but like when it became a big thing, like later in life, um, but I was the one that was like twisting my body in different positions in the morning. And because I was like doing aerials and moguls and everything else and your knees are spinning around in circles. And so I was just making sure like I got my body into every single weird, awkward position in case I crashed. And so when I did crash, I was like so flexible. That's amazing. And yeah. And I just was like, that was one of the big things that I did. And everyone else was like lifting weights and getting strong and, you know, hamstrings and quads. And I was doing more agility and, and, you know, calisthenic stuff that paid off, I think. Um, but I enjoyed it. I loved it. I didn't, um, when I competed, I, I, I just didn't have, I didn't have the fear of losing. And I think that's another thing that a lot of people have is the fear of losing. And I didn't, every time I went out there, I didn't have the fear of losing any event, any given competition. And I was just like, the best you can do is what your ability that, you know, the ability that exists that day um, is what I have and that's all I have. So I'm just going to try to accomplish that and focus on the run itself or the jump itself and every little piece. And I wasn't looking ahead at the results. I was always looking at everything as a pod, like every little element going off a jump, like focusing on going off the jump, never focusing on what's going to happen afterwards. You're a Zen master. A <laughs> I don't know about Sorry that, for interrupting but, you, but that is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that that's just hardwired that you just, as a person, you didn't get caught up in the what ifs. You just said, I need to focus on the task at hand. Or was that something that you had to work at? Um, I, yeah, I had to work at it. Cause you have to like bring, you have to f really adjust your brain and adjust your mindset 
and the focus of what you're going to do. So when you come into a jump, so the jump that I did was a quadruple twisting triple backflip. The guys are still doing it at the Deer Valley World Cup. You're yeah. the first American to do it. I looked <laughs> so, you up, man. Yeah. We we're going to get to that, but yeah. you, you beat me to the punch. Yeah. So it's like you have to break it down. You can't go off the jump thinking I'm doing a quadruple twisting triple backflip. You can't think of the last twist or the last flip or the, the two twists in the middle. Like the thing you have to think about is you have to come off a jump and you actually have to focus on going off that jump and setting the pace. So it's literally like coming off the jump and then you execute the first flip or the first twist and then you focus on, then you know, you're looking down at the ground, you focus on the next flip with two twists and then break out of that and then your mind has to reset and get ready for the landing on the third flip or the third twist. So that part of it, I thought, yes, I did have a unique talent in that sense that I could break it down into like three or four different parts within three and a half seconds. I'm totally comfortable comfortable going 80 <laughs> miles per hour on skis, right. no problem. See. <laughs> going upside down on a trampoline gives me pause. Right. So what you just said is hard for me to wrap my head around. And just for those that are listening that are not familiar with your type of freestyle skiing, and it has evolved a ton, explain what aerials is and what moguls is, just for those that aren't yeah. as familiar. Yeah, um, so aerials is the more traditional part of freestyle skiing now that you have a lot of the new elements in the Olympic games, right? You have half pipe skiing, you have slope style skiing, um, big air competitions and really snowboard influence tricks of grabs and different types of movements. Traditional freestyle now is considered aerials, which is more like gymnastics. It's more like diving, um, where the jump that I went off is a kicker that is 14 feet tall. It has a 72 degree pitch on the end of it. And you have to travel about speeds about 40, 35 to 40 miles per hour to go off that jump. And so it's all about form, again, just like gymnastics and diving, it's all about that straight body line, um, doing, again, three flips with four twists, you're, you're focused on perfect acrobatic form, right? Straight body lines and straight twists and separation of your twists and flips and coming in and on a very steep landing slope and trying to hit the landing. Right? So there's all those parts to it. So it's the form, the degree of difficulty, and then of course the landing, and that's aerials in a nutshell. Mogul skiing, steep, down champion, you know, the most famous run in the world at the Deer Valley World Cup. Um, you know, very steep run of moguls. It takes uh, about, you know, 25 seconds to get down that mogul run. Navigating through moguls, two different jumps, that you have to do execute two different tricks within that mogul run, um, and that's uh, you know, and then speed is a factor as well. But it's only twenty five percent speed, so that's the whole thing. With people that don't know, don't know mogul skiing that well, it's not all about speed. It's twenty five percent of the score. Twenty five percent of the score is your tricks that you do off the two airs that are presented on the run, and then the rest is really super good technique, super good form, absorption, and all that stuff. So you as an alpine racer, it's like, could you imagine being judged no. like on every turn, but even if you win the race, you're the fastest one down. But now in mogul skiing, you know, you're judged on how you actually turn, you know, and, it, and it's, um, it's a difficult sport. And the, the progression now is, I mean, these guys are flying down the mogul course now and, and the airs are insane compared to what I used to do. And it's yeah. evolved a lot since then, because when you were doing mogul skiing, well, aerials, obviously you went upside down to next Wednesday, 
But in mogul skiing, it wasn't mm -hmm. until about 1998 where our good friend Johnny Mosley yep. brought in the dinner roll and that inversion. How has that changed mogul skiing? I mean, and and, yeah. and actually, let's talk about Deer Valley specifically because it's such a steep course. They're going faster. They're the the opportunity for huge tricks yep. is greater, mm -hmm. but also the risk versus reward. Because like you said, that calculation of knowing that you have a really big trick, but it's also 50% is about the turns. Yeah. How does an athlete weigh that? Yeah, it's, I mean, you're right. The risk versus reward down champion. It's, you know, you're either getting down it or you're blowing up, right? Like that's the whole thing. It's, it's, it's the most challenging run on the FIS World Cup circuit. And the reason being is because it doesn't like you, you're maybe like Val St. Combe in Canada. <clears throat> they don't have that steep slope and the ability to have that. They have a very challenging run in very challenging snow conditions. <clears throat> but at, at, with Champion, it's just steep and it is gnarly. And so that top air is really tough to get out of for a lot of athletes. That's the game changer It's like coming in, skiing down about seven bumps, eight bumps, and then going off that top air. And imagine doing, you know, what would be considered like a, a cork, you know, a cork 1080 or a- or What a, is a or cork? Cork is just like a lot of the newer tricks that you would see in half. Like what is, it, what is it? Like, honestly, what are you doing? It's, Speak to me like I'm a Labrador, Labrador retriever. A cork is like a backflip with a double twist, right? Or a full twist. But you're corked like in a position to where you're like, all corked up and your skis are crossed. It's so it's so like steezy. looking, yeah, you're steezy and styly. But it's mm -hmm. um, it's it's cool how they've incorporated a lot of the newer school, and it's not so new school anymore, but more of the progressive free skiing tricks into mogul skiing. Um, but then you'll see some traditional backflips with full twists and double double twists that are straight body line. So that's what I like about it. This is a big variety. But to be a mogul skier, you have to be an excellent skier. You have to make really good turns. You have to be super strong with the absorption. And then you have to have some new school element or free ride element built into one of the tricks. And then you have to have a traditional like aerials type trick on your other maneuver. So it's like, it's very difficult. You have to be a super diverse skier to be a, be a mogul skier. And the Deer Valley World Cup that happens annually is mm -hmm. coming up February 1st to the 3rd. Mm -hmm. And for you, you commentate also. That's yeah. kind of how you change things up. Is there ever a time commentating, and this comes from someone that's from a totally time sport, right. <laughs> where you see the judges' scores and you do not agree with them? Yeah. Because are there some judges, are judges known? Do you know one judge really sort of loves the more traditional skiing and the and like a really clean oh. but easier trick? Do you get scored better on an easier trick that's super clean or if you're pushing the envelope, but maybe there's a little bit of raggedness to yeah, it? Yeah, I don't know because it's it depends on what they backed it up with. So you could see somebody do a very difficult trick like uh, Nick Page, uh, you know, one of our Deer Valley, you know, athletes. He's, you know, he's got in the bag of tricks, he's got a cork 1440, right? So that's like... A massive amount of spins basically it's upside down in a single back corked up in that position doing pretty much three revolutions plus the flip adds another revolution so that's why it's 1444 revolutions um but if he does something like that it's amazing you blow everybody's mind just like when johnny mosley did the dinner roll right but when johnny did the dinner roll or if nick does a cork 1440 but they didn't have good turns or the speed wasn't adequate then they're not going to get the big scores that's what happened to johnny and 2002 mm -hmm. he didn't have the speed you know yeah so but he blew everybody away with the trick 
we were all excited about that. Like, given that, he won the trick competition, but remember, you don't, you don't get a gold medal for that, though. No, it's 25% of your score. So, um, but yeah, no, Deer Valley, it's going to be the most, it's the most exciting one. I love commentating it. Um, I know all the athletes so well. And so, you know, they're my daughter's friends and my friends and my, my friends' kids. <laughs> now I'm at that age now to where that's super fun for me to commentate the, the World Cup here. So you're Trace Worthington, and now there are two more Worthingtons on the U.S. ski team. Yeah. You have your daughter, Sammy, who's a mogul skier, mm -hmm. and then Izzy is slopestyle and halfpipe. Half yep. You are a champion. I think no one can argue that. How You've seen the highest highs and the lowest lows mm -hmm. in the sport yeah. through your own experience and now through your daughters. How does that inform your parenting? I mean, it's tough. The, the, it's been... It's been really tough, like watching them grow up through the system. I've had no, like zero pressure of getting them in the sport. I've always told them like, look guys, I, I don't need to live vicariously through <laughs> you guys. I really don't. And so it's not going to do anything for me. What I want you guys to do is just have fun. If you're into it, great. If you're not into it and you want to quit, that's totally fine too. Um, I'll support whatever you're doing. Right, I'll pay for whatever you're doing the best of my ability, um, and see where you go. Right, like, and I have resources right here that allow them if they want to ask questions, I can answer them pretty well with my knowledge and my ex experience over the years. So um, that's been nice, and they've listened to a lot of stuff, which is nice. May, may, you may not have seen that physically, but they listen, and I just want them to be like you know, have fun, not focused on results and be good ambassadors to the sport, right? Like know your history, um, say thank you to volunteers, say thank you to your coaches. Like I'm more into the culture part of it for them now in, in terms of like the experience of traveling around the world and doing what they love than trying to force them into being on top of a podium or even on a podium. Do you, you know. get nervous when you watch them compete? Yeah, Izzy competed in her first World Cup in copper, and I did not. I got all choked up. Yeah, Aww. I was like, yeah, I was freaking out. Um, but it's good. She's earned another World Cup start, um, and then uh, yeah, we'll see what Sammy can do here pretty soon when she gets back from a knee injury. So, and that's something yeah. we said. You're especially Sammy. She's just she's so talented and has so much promise, but it's she's suffered from a lot of injuries already. Mm -hmm. It's hard because as I'm a parent of very young children yeah, yeah. and I put myself in your shoes and of course you want to be so encouraging, but at the same time, you also want to be supportive where it's, I guess this is the best question. Do, yeah. do either of your girls, did either of them inherit your preternatural way to focus on <laughs> the task at hand? Um, I don't, well, I don't think they got my like physical genetics in a way of not getting injured. Cause you know, that's the other part too. It's like, um, because they're just very, but the sport is so progressed now that it doesn't surprise me that, you know, more and more athletes are getting injured because they're trying different things. And, um, you know, that's just part of the, part of the progression of any sport. Right. But, um, it's tough. And I, you know, I think Sammy has possessed, like she's, she's a machine. She's a workhorse. Like she's a big time workhorse. Um, and I think that'll pay off for her, like physically. And Izzy is just a, like a really smart competitor. Somehow, like you're just like, wait, what? What's going on behind those <laughs> you know, goggles? Like, she's like Alpine ski raced for a while and 
And I just, well, I didn't understand anything about alpine ski racing. Right? I was just a dad at the bottom. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, you're winning stuff. That's pretty cool. And then she's like, yeah, I want to go do freestyle stuff. You know, and then all of a sudden you're like, she adjusts her brain and all of a sudden starts doing half pipe. And now she's doing really well in half pipe. Two different sports. But her edging, as you can appreciate, gets her across the half pipe fast. fast and she can edge off, you know, in slope style and get to things and carry speed and all the things that she learned from alpine racing. So my suggestion to any parent is don't just stick your kid in one of the sports. Like let them bounce around and do a bunch of different things and learn different parts of skiing. Um, and I, I think it'll, you know, if they want them to be in competitive field, but right. I, I couldn't agree more. What I always tell people, especially when they're young, if they're coordinated, they will be able to pick and choose what they want to do. If you have them specialize with them when they're just a little kid, they have this one skill set. Yeah. And if they either burn out or they're not as talented as you or they hope they would be, yeah. they're kind of behind <laughs> one, the eight ball. One dimensional. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's and sports are fun. Yeah. I always tell people sports are a vehicle to build character. Yeah. Exactly. And what a great tool that is. Mm -hmm. As a parent, you're giving your child this really fun platform to learn who they are. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, that, that's why I love the experience that these guys have, um, to be able to travel and work with coaches and have to, um, you know, get to know teammates and be roommates and all that stuff at a young age. I'm sure that when you first had your daughters, everyone's like, Oh, you're going to get them into moguls or airless. And I always have to be like, you know, simmer, simmer yeah. down. Like people have always, I wonder, I'm going to ask you this. Have people asked like, so people ask me all the time. They're like, oh, are your kids showing like some real promise as athletes? I say they're one in yeah. three. <laughs> like, no, they like, they're just little kids. I, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting. I mean, I've, I'll, a lot of my teammates, like Nikki Stone, her, it, like she won the Olympics in aerials. And there's, oh, your kid's going to be an aerial. Oh, and she, She's like, one of her kids is really good at dance. And it's like, awesome, you know? And um, no, I, I, I actually don't, I didn't even expect that either of them to be skier. I mean, Izzy, Izzy stopped skiing for a while. Then she got into cross country a little bit. And then she got into alpine racing. And then, you know, and then amazing. that was it. And all of a sudden the half pipe, but it was all cultural based. You know, that's the thing I think right now is um, what we have to be careful of is because of social media influences and because of what they see, um, you, you don't really want to push them into things that they don't want to do because you did it um, necessarily. And that's what you know. And you want to be this parent on the sideline of an alpine racer. Like, I would say, get rid of that out of your head and, and let the kid like go, you know what? I want to be with this, gr this group of kids over here because I like the Nordic world or I like the alpine world or I like this, the skiing world. That's where your friends are. Push them in that direction. That's what's happened to my daughters. Both of them never ever like said you should do this or do that. And both of them ended up doing what they wanted because of the people they were surrounded And that's by. probably why they've been so successful. That's why. Because yeah. you see it so often where yeah. parents get so caught up and they like they like choose the path before the kid even has the wherewithal to choose at all. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think so that's a huge mistake. I see it I've had day. people corner me at like dinner parties where they're like, yeah. what's the key? I'm like, not this. <laughs> what you're doing right here? This intensity, your child is nine. Like, yeah. Yeah. just go, like go play Candyland with them, or something. I don't know. Like, no, just true. chill. That's my that's and like. By the way, though, it's weird because I've had contemporaries of mine that were hugely successful and they had very domineering parents, and mm -hmm. it's hard. It's like, can you separate that? You can't. And would have they had their incredible amount of success without that? I don't know, but they might be a more fully functioning human without like yeah. you can't separate it but for me with my kids I always say I was like 
I just want them to love what they do yeah. and to be good people. Like that is like, like, you know, and to be that's a contributor. It. That's it. Yeah, no, that's it. I mean, it's uh, Sammy's, I mean, she's loving college right now. So she's, you know. And you never know. She might be like, dad, you know. I know. I keep doing oh, this. Like, I'm like, go join a sorority and do that thing. Yeah. I'll be like, right on. Cool. And you know what? You can still be a dad <laughs> on the sidelines. It just might be sidelines you never even really imagined. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever had to commentate on an event that your daughters are in? Do you foresee that happening? No. So I thought for sure this year was going to be, <laughs> was going to be the year. Um, that was, that was, yeah, that, that's going to make me nervous. I don't even know if NBC will let me do it with my because daughter. I've I don't done, even know. <laughs> yeah. I've done broadcasting and they're like, Hey, you need yeah. to be neutral. But if it's your own kid, I think that that is physically impossible. I mean, you would, you're a professional. It, yeah. You would look neutral, but of course it would be so hard yeah. whether they have the best you know, comp of their life or the worst, not to show some sort of emotion towards that. Yeah, no, I, I've, I'll probably, you know, I work with Hannah Carney, who's amazing, by the way, at commentary, um, you know, and Johnny when he's some during some Olympic games. But um, yeah, I, I always told Hannah, I'm like, if my daughter makes it into the final and she's on the broadcast for the Deer Valley World Cup, like you're talking the whole time. <laughs> That's safe. Like you're taking over. That's safe. So, so yeah. And you've had this amazing career as a aerialist, mogul skier, combined skier of those two put together. And now you've had this illustrious career as a commentator. So many athletes, myself included, have dabbled in broadcasting post-competitive career yeah. and crashed and burned. I did all right. It's not easy. It wasn't for me. It was, <laughs> I, I, they always said that I, they're like, I always tried to bring a little too much levity. Maybe that's why I'm podcasting <laughs> right now. But yeah. for you, what do you, how do you, uh, the longevity of it? And also yeah. that you've yeah. been able to take what you knew in skiing and parlayed it into cliff diving, dog yeah. shows, yeah. like. Help me understand that. Well, so there's you're an expert, like an expert comedy commentator in your field. When you did commentary, you were the expert in that field of slalom and GS. I'm guessing, right? When you did your stuff with with NBC, um, I immediately enjoyed the play-by-play -play role, which again is removing myself from an expert role. Um, and I clearly realized that people like Johnny Mosley, who and Hannah Carney, who would want to get into TV, were going to roll into those expert roles. So I a long time ago realized and understood that and studied really hard and worked with a lot of people to become a play-by-play -play commentator. And that to me, whether you were involved in the sport or not, it doesn't matter. And that's why I'm able to kind of go around and do different sports. Now, of course I get plugged into freestyle skiing because that's my background, but still that's like, um, you know, one of the, that's, I do very few freestyle skiing events. Um, you know, there's two a year that I do, maybe the world championships and I do the Olympics. Um, but I enjoy, the storylines. So I tell, I like telling the stories. So, you know, my job is to really give the viewer a better understanding of the sport, break it down, you know, show them or, you know, explain to them the basics as if it's a new viewer every single time, whatever the sport is. But I love the athlete stories too, no matter what sport it is, doesn't matter if it's freestyle skiing, it could be cliff diving, could be the dog competitions that I'm doing. I've done so many different sports. I did 17 days of live television with NBC that, um, you know, during the Olympics I had snowboarding, uh, ski cross, snowboard cross, you know, um, but the storylines and, and all that stuff and educating the viewer on their biographies and those characters and those people, the Paralympics were amazing to commentate, by the way. It was like so much fun to tell their stories and they love their stories being told. Um, so that to me is the longevity part of it. 
and you could do any sport you want as long as you're a good storyteller and right and do your homework before it goes on air. Um, but one of my most, I mean, one of my favorite runs was when Lindsey Jacob Ellis won. Um, I commentated that live at the last Olympics in Beijing, and she you know wins snowboard cross, and then backs it up with another win with Nick Baumgartner and the team of that. Like I was going nuts. I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever commentated in my life. Almost 20, <laughs> well, not quite, but yeah. we're talking like three Olympic games passed when she did that yeah. notorious grab when she had the gold in the bag. Yeah. Yeah. I was so excited. If yeah. people aren't familiar with that story, Lindsay, when Snowboard Cross, it's inaugural, uh, it's the first time it was in the Olympics, she was the overriding favorite. And yeah. in the finals, she went over the last jump, the other, the second place finisher was, you know, yards behind her yeah, and she just went for like a little method, which means she just grabbed her board yeah, and she, she crashed on the landing. Before the finish line. And she got second. <laughs> right, second or third? No, she got second. She got second. She got the silver, but yeah, that, 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 hung, was that hung with her for nearly 20 years, like you yeah, said. I mean, yeah. since 2006. So, so to see her do that at 35 or something, like, it. it was so, I agree. Loved and then with it. Nick, yeah. oh, because I know both of them. Yeah. Those are the stories, you're right. And yeah. I always say that when I was in the... 2002 games, I mean, I was not a medal favorite. The, the, my gold medal was just making the Olympics. And I'm incredibly proud of that. But I also understand that, um, you know, we are very into the medal count here in the United States, for better or for worse. Yeah, yeah. And I was winning the Olympics for about 90 seconds in Torino. Yeah. And I came through the finish and I thrust my fist in the air. And I was so stoked. <laughs> and then I went through the mix zone, which is where you get all your interviews. And all these journalists were kind of dumbfounded. Yeah. Because they yeah. knew I hadn't won by enough to even have a chance at a medal. And what I said is, I just said, we're at the Olympics. You guys are, we're kind of missing it. We do get fixed on it. You know, you're, you know, I went there with Fuzz Federson, who, you know, is part of our Deer Valley Ski with Champions program. And uh, Fuzz and I were the two guys that represented the U.S. in the first Olympics that we both, att I attended in 1992. Um, we're the two guys. And we're like, we're amongst, uh, we're the two guys in the United States, two best guys in the United States. That's huge. Um, and then we're amongst 18, whatever, 25 people that qualified for the Olympics from around the world. Like if you can say you're the, you know, the fifth best person in the world, you know, at any given time and anything is, is, is a big deal. Yes, we do get fixed on medals, which drives me crazy as well. Like, yeah, if you just qualify for the Olympic Games, you, you put in a lot of work and just to get there is, 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 a, is a big accomplishment. And, you know, and, and the cultural part of it and the experience for any kid to get there is is a big deal, you know? It's hard to win a medal. I was like, if we want to go into every Olympics, we come out of it and we, oh, we didn't win that many medals in alpine racing or freestyle skiing or snowboarding. It's like, well, then if you want those medals so bad, then inject more funds into the U.S. ski team and inject more resources into the U.S. ski team so they have the same amount of resources as the government-funded countries, which is everybody else around the world. The U.S. is not government-funded, so. I think very few people know that. Right. And so when we go, oh, there's a lack of metals, it's like, well, there's there's a reason why, because we're not firing a bunch of dollars into our pipeline and um, as much as we could or not I mean as much as much as we can. Um, but the other countries are doing, doing a lot more and we're hanging in there for what we have. I mean, we do really well. It's impressive. <laughs> I completely agree. Yeah. The fact that the two right. most winningest female ski racers of all time are Americans. Americans when yeah. you go to Austria and it's like they're it, like our football is 
in Austria is ski racing. Yeah. So they just have this depth, even though it's a, a way smaller country, everyone ski races. Yeah, everyone's Yet good. we've got Mikhail Schifrin and Lindsey Vonn, which is pretty incredible. Yeah, it's huge. It is big. And we have, you know, Sean White. And I mean, the list oh, goes yeah. on and I'm on. I'm just about, using just Alpine. Like, yeah, no, lead, no, like, I mean, Podimo, like there's all kinds. Yeah, there's Hannah all Carney, kinds. like yeah, um, we're, Donna Weibrecht. Like, we're lucky. We're yeah. lucky. Those are, that's a private funded group of people, you know? So yeah, they did well with it. <laughs> and what I find so cool is that we're still skiing. You and I, we're part of the Ski yeah. with the Champion program. Yeah. We still get to tell our stories on the chairlift. And I'm wondering, when you take people out, so the Ski with the Champion program at Deer Valley is there are six Olympians that you can check out, and if we're available, we would love to take you skiing. I'm one of them, Trace is one of them, and there's four other amazing skiers. When you're on the chairlift with a guest, do they, is it always about your aerials or moguls? Or do a lot of people want to hear about cliff diving or the dots? Yeah, or do they yeah, know you everything. from commentating? Yeah, I think they're fascinated with the in-between. Um, you know, it's, I think they're like, how many did you ski up here every day? And it's like, no, 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 I, you know, ski here a bunch of days a year. But, I, you know, I have stuff in between. And, you know, I'm going to Los Angeles to commentate or going to another country to commentate cliff diving. Um, no, it's cool to tell those stories. Like, people are, um, people are psyched. And. I just like taking people around the mountain. I mean, it's my favorite thing to do. It's like, so fun. It's super fun. Yeah, it's um, it's a great experience for them. <clears throat> it gets me out of the house and gets me on the hill. Um, but just to see like what they get out of it, <clears throat> as you know, excuse me, like what you like afterwards is the most gratifying thing. You know, they got to see the entire mountain. They got to experience Deer Valley. Um, they got to do it with an Olympian. Hear some good stories feel good about themselves, feel good about their skiing. If you can offer a few tips here and there that really improve their skiing in one day, then, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a good day. Good day at Deer Valley. I agree. <laughs> it's a win-win for both of us. Yeah. And I think that the key to, from just hearing what you've said, is that you've just remained dynamic. Whether it was skiing, whether it was commentating, you look for opportunities and you go after them. Yeah, I mean, my father always said, is like, do what you know, you know? And, you know, my, what I know is what I know is skiing, you know, and what I know is is now sports and certain sports and the commentary stuff is all obscure sports that I commentate. I love that part of it. I don't want to get into traditional sports. I love the obscurity of freestyle skiing and, you know, slope style and all these creative tricks and characters that um, go along with it, too. There's so many different characters in these um, action sports, you know winter action sports and summer action sports. Um, but I love those people and those athletes, especially in the cliff diving world. It's so much fun to watch these guys like, you know, try to, you know, figure out how to go off a hundred foot cliff, you know, week in and week out. You know, the psyche of skiers like the back of your hand because you are one, yeah. but cliff divers, canines, <laughs> Yeah. Is how are they different and how is it the same? And any funny anecdotes where you go, wow, this is a totally different ball game. Yeah. Well, the cliff diving part is super fun, like to commentate. The the athletes are amazing. Um, you know, the men are going at 90 feet, the women a little over 70 feet on these cliffs and different locations from around the world. Um, and so that part of it is is like I can relate because I had to go get used to jump sites around the world, like different snow conditions, just like you and Alpine racing. You had to like, whoa, I'm on the East Coast or I'm in Europe and it's dry snow versus soft snow, slushy snow and all that stuff. To watch these cliff divers adjust every two weeks to a new location, whether it's off the, like the rooftop of the you know Copenhagen Opera House to you know a remote location off like a barely, like this teeny little platform of a rock in the Philippines and the Azores Islands and all these amazing places around the world. 
Um, but to watch that, those guys is, is insane. And, you know, I do know the consequences of when you, when things go wrong. So that's why I can relate to, to a lot of the cliff divers. Um, but it's, it's really fun commentating it. And I commentated with a, a guy, um, his name's Joey and he's from, he's from Australia and that's always fun. He's hilarious. And so we just have a lot of fun doing it. Um, in terms of like, uh, the dogs, which is funny because you're like, how, which is like, how do you do cliff diving? And then you do like action sports at the Olympics and then you're commentating snowboarding and then you go right into dog competitions. Well, the dog competitions, the company that I work for was created by a former Alpine racer who is one of the crazy Canucks. And so he lives in Sun Valley. His name's Paul Carson. He has since passed about six years ago. His wife now runs the company, but we connected 18 years ago um, when I went to help MC one of their events. And he's like, I want you to do the TV. I want you to do the NBC broadcast because I want that energy brought into the TV broadcast. And he being a skier, again, all circles back to skiing, he being a skier was like, I want that energy. I want this to be treated like the Olympics. I want this to be treated like action sports. The dog competitions. He wants to cool it up, right? Like he wants to hip, you know, get a little more hip. So that's what we did. I've and, watched them. Yeah. The agility like sections of those kind of competitions, these dogs, what they do is amazing. And also yeah. what I have said <laughs> is that there's all these little microcosms of sport where people live and die by those competitions. Cause I think people sometimes will say, oh, it's just a dog. I'm like dog competition, right? And they're yeah. just kind of like, oh, whatever. It's like a hobby. I'm like, no, no, no. This is like their life, you know, that yeah. it, and like the, uh, the gravity of it is, is very akin to what you even yeah. feel in an Olympics. I think that a lot of times yeah. people like we get that, but what I always try to convey to people is that when I'm standing, when I was standing in the Olympic start, those nerves, that exhilaration, that excitement might be what you feel when you're at the top of your first black diamond. Yeah. It's not that different. Right. Yes. I'm on a world stage. You were on like you were a favorite. Like there's there are some different parts, but that human connection, those butterflies, yeah. that you know, <laughs> rising to the occasion, like that is a human experience that is yeah. very relatable. And I think that too often people think, oh, we have nothing in common. I always say we have a ton in common. Yeah, because like your like your best day, your it's biggest day, it's yeah. the same kind of feeling. Same like kind of feeling. they've even done studies on happiness and on like our like the metrics of what we are capable of feeling. Yeah. And it's just, we get them from different experiences, but the pressure and the stress of it is the same. Yeah. And the, and the, so, and then a lot of people ask me, how do I get that, you know, that, that adrenaline or that, pre that pressure or, or, or those nerves post ski career, right? And you're in the same position as me, like post ski career, where do you get that? You're getting it from your little kids, by the way. So you have, you're, you're all set. <laughs> That's where you get it. But I now get it from television, from live TV. So I will do events and when somebody says, hey, here's welcome to the Deer Valley World Cup, champion, here's who's in the finals, blah, 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 and you're live TV, like that hour and a half is so much pressure. And when you get done with it, yeah, you feel like you got on the podium again. So that's, that's where I get my adrenaline from now, it's from the live TV stuff. I think that's really important for someone that's been an elite level to have an outlet for excellence wherever you can find it. I always try to tell athletes that are in transition or going through retirement, I say, find something that gets you into that flow state or that yeah. feeling of having to 
zero in on the task at hand because I feel like that's something that we need that we feed upon. And I also have to ask, cliff diving, all the different sports, snowboarding, action sports, there's been so many characters that you've covered over the years. Is there one or two that kind of in your mind, you just remember and say, they are oh. a rare breed. That is a special human being. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't, in, during commentary, like there are, have been some, I really enjoyed commentating when Johnny Mosley was in his prime, right? Like I got to commentate the dinner roll, right? At the Olympic games in 2002. That was probably my, the, the most the favorite of all time is commentating that. I love Lindsay Jacob Ellis's run. Um, I'm a huge fan of Sean White. I like the characters of, um, I didn't commentate Alpine racing, but I love Bodie's character, Bodie Miller. Um, I love his character. Like He's I just, individual. I just love the in, on the edge stuff back in the day and um, stuff like that. Those are the people that stand out in terms of like, you know, who influenced me. Um, but yeah, I mean the cliff divers, there's, there's a lot of good characters. Nobody really stands out, but it's just half naked people. Like I know a, just hucking themselves <laughs> off yeah. of something where you, I mean, not you, but yeah. myself and anyone else would stand at the top of it and go, that is a bad decision yeah. that I, will uh, only end in tears at the best, <laughs> at best. Johnny's run in 2002 he came down and I went off the rails and I thought I was going to get in trouble with NBC because he did the, the dinner roll, right? And I'm like thinking, nobody understands it. The viewer does not understand what this thing is. You could tell all day long. It's a, it's a, it's a cork flip side. He can't let his feet go off above access. his head off access. So I just completely on the replay changed it. And you can probably Google it. It's funny. And it's just like, I'm like right here. Johnny preheats the oven, gets it to temperature, mixes the dough, throws in a little yeast, right? He changes it for, he changes the directions for high altitude, you know, baking. And right here, he cooks and bakes the perfect dinner roll. So it was like, just, and I was like, I'm dead, I'm dead. And in my ear is my NBC producer. And they're like, that was the best thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I'm like, yes. See, I love that. That's why with broadcasting, I tried yeah. to, I mean, like that, and that was such a momentous right. thing. I remember that in 1998, I was 14 years old and I still remember watching it. And I was an Alpine racer. Yeah. I still to this day, unfortunately, don't really understand tricks, but that was such a huge progression. To, yeah. And also to do it on that world stage was risky. Well, Johnny did, so he he did, so what he introduced the week before the Olympics or two weeks before the Olympics in, in Nagano 1998, when he won the gold was the, the 360 mute grab. So he brought that in from his Canadian friends that taught him how to do it. And he basically tweaked this, you know, 360 mute grab. And it was like groundbreaking. Nobody, nobody could catch up to him in two weeks. Like everyone was like, oh. And then the judges actually acknowledged it, which was huge because they didn't have to. Um, but that's the trick he did in 1998. So 2002 was He became role? famous then. And then he's like, I want to do something that nobody else is doing in 2002. And that's when they were like, well, you can't go inverted. You can't have your feet above your head. So Johnny was like, okay, well, I'm gonna do a trick to where it's different to where my feet don't go above my head. And so the dinner roll- Is it 2002? 2002. I'm so totally wrong. I thought it was 1998. No, no, yeah. in so he, oh. Inverted aerials weren't allowed in 2002 still. Inverted aerials until in, inverted off the mogul jumps. So he does this trick where he's like, he goes up and almost does a flip and he doesn't get his feet above his head. And I knew, so I, see, like I knew what the dinner like roll this, was. 
So he's spinning like this and like they're watching his feet so they don't go above his head because that's considered inverted. And he'd get disqualified. Yeah, so then he crosses it up and he's like this, so his feet are here. Yeah, and then See, he's just like a okay. side flip. I like can't that. believe Super this is, cool. I'm, I'm not even embarrassed. I'm just glad that I know because I always thought that he did the dinner roll in 1998 and got the gold. Yeah. He did the mute, the 360 mute grab in 98, got the gold. And then in 2002, he wanted to push the envelope wasn't rewarded, but made this amazing but he was reward, leap. Like for the trick, he was rewarded. Just the speed. He was three and a half seconds slower than the winner, Yanni Latula. Mm. You can't be three and a half seconds slower in. No, and scary maybe two and a half. I don't know. I don't want to. No, nothing, but in scary that's a lifetime. So I. Understand. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So when it's 25 percent of your score and you're two and a half seconds slower, or whatever, three seconds slower than the winner, that had a pretty consistent run. You're gonna get. You're not gonna get those points. Um, and he didn't. Ha you know. And with when you're not fast sometimes your form isn't that great like so the whole thing combined and he knows it johnny you know we talk about it all the time but um, i don't think he regrets it because like he's not no he doesn't general. regret it but i think i i wished they would have and i wish they do that in other sports at the olympics is let's start rewarding the risk a little bit more you know totally and, and progression and let's start rewarding that and not worry about the other stuff. I'm sure there's the old guard it's that's just, like no we want to keep it this way and that's yeah. just that's how it is in every in every sport that is trying to continue yeah. working towards something new that we've never seen before. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So you've, you sort of have dominated freestyle skiing and then now you are at the top of your game and commentating. Do you have an act three? No, that's it. I just, I like doing, <laughs> I don't, I like doing, I, I, you know, I've actually narrowed down some of the commentary. Um, I really am enjoying focusing more on being present in Utah and at Deer Valley with our champions program. Like I, I, I truly am enjoying that more and more because as the snow has got better last year was an amazing season. We got really good snow this season. And so now we've got more people understanding our program. And so I'm really enjoying that. Um, and so now I'm just doing my cliff diving stuff with Red Bull and I'm doing my NBC stuff with skiing and snowboarding and the Olympics and yeah. And then trying to just follow my girls around when I can. <laughs> exactly. Maybe your act three is just passing the torch on to your girls and they're going to be yeah. the ones in the spotlight. Act three is getting, yeah, is traveling around the world watching them ski if I can get, you know, if they can get to that point in, in, the, in the level of World Cup. And I would love to do that. Yeah, I would love to be dad on the sidelines. <laughs> Trace, thank you so much for giving an insight on what it takes to be a champion in a sport where there's so much to calculate and also how you translated that into success as a commentator and also in your approach as a father. It has Thanks. been a pleasure. Thanks, Kayla. Appreciate it. Thanks, everyone, for listening. This has been Overheard at Deer Valley. See you on the slopes.